Side Hustle Show 197, Prioritization, Elimination, Automation, and Delegation for Side Hustle Nation. This is a Productivity Roundtable. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Awesome episode for you today. I'm joined by not one, not two, but three of my favorite productivity experts to find out what's working today and how we can squeeze more results out of the 24 hours we're all dealt. My guests are Eric Fisher from BeyondTheToDoList.com and the Beyond the To-Do List podcast, Mike Vardy from Productivityist.com and the Productivityist podcast, and Paul Miners from PaulMiners.com and the appropriately named Productivity Podcast. Combined, these guys have hosted 300 plus podcast episodes with some of the brightest productivity minds and the most successful entrepreneurs out there. They represent three different countries of time maximizing thought leadership, if that's a thing. I frame this discussion loosely along the lines of the prioritization, elimination, automation, and delegation framework made popular by the four hour work week. But uh, stick around to hear how these guys map out their days, their weeks, their years, the tools they use to get more done, and some of their best productivity hacks for side hustlers. Grab the free PDF highlight reel at sidehustlenation.com slash roundtable. You'll also find all the links mentioned at that URL as well, and there are a lot in this episode. Before we dive in, let's take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. The all-new FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy accounting software that's transforming how side hustlers, freelancers, and small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for the way we work. Visit FreshBooks.com slash SideHustle to start your 30-day free trial today. I'll be back to tell you a little bit more about what's new with FreshBooks, plus my top takeaways from this productivity roundtable after the interview. We kick this thing off with a discussion of prioritization and planning, and the first voice you'll hear is Eric Fisher from Beyond the To-Do List. Ready? Let's do it. I will work backwards. I always go big picture first and do seasons. I go from typically a season for me. It really does naturally fit into kind of like quarters or thirds, depending upon what's going on for the year. And I look at it that way. So it's like, okay, what's the big thing that I have to cross the finish line successfully with? And then what does that look like moving backwards from that finish line to where the starting line is? And what does that season look like? What are all the components that make up that season in terms of weekly and monthly milestones towards that project or that event? It could even be just that I'm going to an event and I want to be fully prepared to get the most out of it, that kind of thing. I always work backwards. And then once I've done that, I will start to say, okay, now what do I need to do to make sure that I don't burn out through that season? And I will take a look at, am I going to make sure that I fit in my workouts? How am I going to be eating healthy? How do I make sure my family sees me and sees enough of me, but not too much of me? Okay. Okay. That's kind of the approach I take. Do you do annual goals or are you kind of really strict on this? I'm going to do three, four month goals along the lines of like the 12 week year. Annual goals are nice. I personally feel a little bit overwhelmed when I look at that. I would rather do it in shorter bursts and say, what is it I want to get done in this amount of time? That's just me, though. I think it works great for other people. And then in a weird quirk, I don't have a problem saying, hey, I want to be at this place 
in two years, three years. So I don't know why I kind of skip over the one year. I probably should revisit that. Okay, so you're taking big picture. Here, this is my like five-year plan, and here's what I got to do on a quarterly basis to get there. Mike, what do you think about that? I'm more of the guy that looks at year to year, and I think it's based on the experience that every year I'm in a completely different place than I was at the start of the year. Yeah. So when I set up my year, I kind of, and my year's already started, by the way. So, I mean, I start my year in September. So I choose three words to represent my year. Why is that? Why is September and not January? Because, first off, it balances nicely with my kids their school year, which is great because I'm the stay-at-home dad. So by doing this, I kind of wrap up the year in July and August, home with them. I'm doing less stuff at that time. Okay. And then September just makes a lot of sense for that. Plus, and I wrote a book about this a couple of years ago called The Front Nine, How to Start the Year You Want Anytime You Want. I believe that January is a bad time to start the year because everybody's starting the year. The gyms are full. Maybe it's just you and Eric that go through this because you've got Thanksgiving in November and then the Christmas holidays. And then it's like, okay, it's January 1st, time to do something awesome. Like, what's your awesome thing you're going to do? Paul, you and I don't have that problem. We don't have Thanksgiving at that time frame. But I just find that January is just a bad time of year. You're not the highest form of energy, whereas I think September you are. So I pick three words that I want to embody over the course of the year. And then what I do is that from there is I'll pick monthly themes. I call these monthly themes. And if I'm taking on projects or aspiring to goals and they don't hit two of those three words, if two of those three words don't fit in with those goals, then I don't do them. What are your three words for this year? My three words for this year are redesign, rebuild, and reclaim. And it's odd because normally I go up a letter in the alphabet every single time. So last year it was helpfulness, harmony, and health. Okay. But I was inspired by, I don't talk about this too much, I'm a bit of a closeted pro wrestling fan. Maybe not totally closeted, but I... I, don't. <laughs> I knew that. Come on. You, you knew that. So one of the wrestlers, his, his name is Seth Rollins, and his slogan now is redesign, rebuild, reclaim. And I said, I'm stealing that. Because a lot of what's been going on with my work has involved, and my life, is just a whole reshuffling of things that I never would have thought possible even a year ago. And the nice thing about the words is that they embody not just work stuff, but home stuff. So we're talking about possibly homeschooling the kids now. So that's going to be a bit of a redesign. In terms of productivity, and Paul and Eric, you guys know this, is I was definitely more app-focused when I first started out. Now we're getting rid of that. So that's more of a redesign thing. And I've got a whole theme about doing the website over again. That's actually the focus of this month is to get that plan going. So that's the redesign. And then reclaim is kind of like, okay, and then reclaim my spot, not just what I do in terms of productivity, but as a father and as a friend and as a husband. And so once I choose my monthly themes, and I don't theme every single month, I only theme 10 of the months, then every day gets a theme. That allows me in terms of prioritization to say, okay, well, Monday's admin day. So what are the admin tasks I do on Mondays? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day gets a theme. And I talked about this actually at the conference you and I were at, Nick, in the session. Yeah. And then from there, I dive a little bit deeper. So this allows me to kind of stay on track. And the cool thing about working this way is that if you wanted to start today, you could just start by theming your days and then working your way up to theming your month or even doing what Eric does. You could go say, I'm going to pick three words for the year and then you're good for the year, right? Like that that's your yearly thing. So I think it simplifies the process a little bit and also doesn't keep you looking too much further down the road. Because, man, things just move so fast and change so rapidly, at least for my life, that having goals for five to ten years out are fine. But I only have like one of my goals is not to work next summer, to take the whole summer off. That's really my primary goal is to say I'm going to take the summer off. I think that's a pretty lofty goal and ambitious goal. So I'll work towards that. But five years from now, I have no idea where I'm going to be. If someone told me five years ago that I'd be in a Cincinnati hotel 
ready to do a workshop the next day, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I, that's not possible. <laughs> do the three words boil down into quantifiable metrics or goals? Like I want to have 10,000 podcast downloads or something like that? Some of them, yeah. So some I do like kind of the smart goals things, you know, specific, measurable, all that stuff. But I tend to be, I've been really bad at guessing that though. When I said I wanted to make sure that I earn this much money per year and then I earn way more, which is great. But then if you've ever run a business before, if you earn more money or you don't earn as much, your comparatives over every single year are adjusted as a result. So I tend to be one of my goals for this year is, I guess, to have the now year method reach as many people as possible. And then how do I do that? How do I facilitate that? Well, you know, I created the productivity playbook and I'll probably do some courses and all that stuff. So I tend to do it that way. So the best way to describe that is I'll have a broad idea of what a theme will be. So do this. And then I have measurable ways to make that happen, if that makes sense. So those are quantifiable. Okay. And just to clarify, I learned this just this weekend from Mike that the now year stands for needs, oughts, and wants. Yes? Yeah. So it's deal with what you need to do. Decide on the things you ought to do or ought not to do, and then ultimately you get to do more of what you want. Cool. Paul, what's your planning look like, or do you have a similar system as these guys? Yeah, I'm probably most similar to Eric in that starting with the year, I don't really plan my year in terms of this is X, Y, and Z I want to do. I have more of, I call it like a vision of this is what I want my life to look like, or this is my purpose and my why. This is why I do what I do. And sometimes you can fit that into a yearly goal, but I don't focus too much on trying to define yearly goals because I do think it's quite hard to work towards a yearly goal. It's like such a long scope of time to try and plan that you might get halfway through the year and realize you're not on track or maybe your plan is completely different. And so I think it's a fairly unrealistic amount of time to try and plan effectively. But I do use the quarterly monthly approach and actually my monthly theming, which I do now, I, I actually picked up from Mike and his content so kudos for that. So I actually planned that out in Asana and I have, so people familiar with Asana will know you've got the sections. And so I actually have a section for each quarter of the year, which basically those quarters and those goals, quarterly goals will basically try and serve that why. So at the moment, really my main focus, because this is my side hustle, Nick, as you know, so I'm working full time. And my main vision right now is to make that transition into a full-time productivity online person, whatever we're called. So that's my main kind of purpose right now. And I do have a bit of a plan in place as to how I'm going to do that over the next 12 months as part of some travel next year as well. But my quarterly goals are then designed to try and serve that vision. So it's generally like a sales target that I'm trying to hit because I need to replace that income that I'm currently earning. And then I have sections within those sections in Asana for my monthly things. So To give you an example, September may have been website updates. So I was making some improvements to some of the lead magnets that I have and other areas of the website. And then the next month might be traffic growth because getting more people into the funnel is going to be something that satisfies that sales goal. So what I do in Asana is I have this 2016 goals project with these different sections, this kind of structure. And then I basically pull in the task from my other projects based on what I think is going to satisfy each of those monthly themes and those quarterly goals. Cool. Now, Eric and Mike, are you guys using Asana as well or another tool that you like? I use Nozbe. N-O-Z-B-E? Yes. Okay. And I use Asana for the productivity team stuff, and I use Todoist for my personal stuff. So it's interesting. I actually have a task in Todoist that tells me to check Asana every day, because otherwise I might not do it. (laughs) Okay. I guess my planning system looks kind of similar to what Eric and Paul are describing, where it's not necessarily hard 12 month or, or three month goals or something like that. It was more on like a project basis. So I've got all like the maintenance stuff required to keep the show going, to keep the blog going and keep these other various side hustles going. 
But then I'll work on specific projects like a website audit or redoing the autoresponder or this summer I was working on the buy buttons book project. And it's like, okay, now it's a shorter term thing that has a definitive deadline and then can work backwards to map out what has to happen to get that thing done. And of course, that fuels a lot of the content as well. It's like now I can report back on you know, what I did and what the results were like for that. <laughs> Paul, I know it's morning for you. I know this is a side hustle. So I'm curious, do you guys subscribe to the Hal Elrod morning ritual? Are you a miracle morning person? Yeah, I am a morning person. I get up usually just before five every day. I really love his book and I don't do everything that he outlines in the Miracle Morning. I used to be, after I first read the book, a lot stricter in terms of I would get up and I'd spend some time meditating and I even doing the journaling and a few of the other exercises that he recommends. Now though, I actually just start my day usually with email. And I know there's conflicting opinions around whether you start with email or not. And I think it comes down to personal preference, to be honest. But I like to start with email just to kind of clear the inbox. And it also helps me to identify a few other priorities for the day if there is anything particularly urgent or important in the inbox that I need to address. But my miracle morning or my morning routine actually changed when I switched jobs last year because now I work on the other side of Auckland. And to beat the traffic, I have to leave pretty early because I just do not want to spend unnecessary time in the car. That's usually when I listen to some podcasts. So I leave earlier now to be the traffic, which has sort of interrupted my miracle morning. And my intention is that when I claim back some of that time, I will start to adopt more of those habits again, but not right now. Okay. Are you recording this from your office at work? No, I'm actually working from home today. I'm pretty lucky in that I am in a good position. I can be pretty flexible with my hours. It's a good company. As long as I get the job done, the nine to five, the actual time is less important. As long as I hit the goals, that's what's most important. It's nice and flexible, which works well for obviously what I'm doing on the side. Perfect. Mike, are you getting up early and meditating and stretching and all that stuff? Journaling? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. No, 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 no. No, I am what Dr. Michael Bruce would call. He's the author of The Power of When, which is a new book that's a fairly recent book. I am a wolf, so I don't get up until probably about 7.30, 8 o'clock. I have my morning routine, which is critical, and I think anybody should have a morning routine just to get the juices flowing in the morning. But I have an evening routine as well that kind of sets me up so that when I'm done my morning routine, I can just get to work because my brain is just, I'm not wired that way. And I've had conversations with all of you about the idea of fighting your body clock. And there are some scientific studies that have proven that genetics predetermine what your chronotype is. And then further that, it can change over time. Like there's a reason that teenagers sleep in. It's because that's the way their body clock goes. But they could turn into a what Dr. Michael Bruce calls a lion which is like the early risers. So I've never been a big, I've tried it. And every time I've tried it, I've failed miserably. So I just decided that that wasn't the battle I was willing to fight. And when I was on a panel with Hal and Craig Jero and Laura Vanderkam, they were all asked when they got their stuff done and they're all up really early, 3.35, whatever. Jeez. And I was told, they said, when do you get that stuff done, Mike? I'm like the night before. All right. I'm already ahead of them. I think, <laughs> I, I think it's okay if you're a night owl, you're a late riser. You just have to be that much more proactive. So that way, it doesn't look like because there is this preconceived and this predetermined notion that if you're a night owl, then you're going to be behind. And that's just not true. You just have to be more proactive. So I gave up that fight a long time ago and I'm all the better for it. What does your morning routine look like? So I get up in the morning. I splash water on my face exactly three times. That's a Jerry Seinfeld thing, apparently. Okay. I have a big glass of water. I make a Nutribullet shake, which has already been prepared for me the night before. I go downstairs, I read for 25 minutes, then I look at my sheet of paper that is on top of my laptop, which is basically a letter from me from the night before that says, hey, Mike, I know you're brand new and want to check on Facebook and open email and all that stuff, but here are the three things that you really need to get done today. 
pick one and at least get one of those done before you start your day. I do that one thing, and then I get into the rest of the, whatever the day's theme is, is what I start to tackle after that. Okay. What are you reading? You're reading fiction, nonfiction, blogs? I generally read my RSS feed. So I'll read my RSS feed, skim that, and then I will move that stuff into Instapaper. I'll read my Instapaper queue. And then if I'm really into an Audible book, I'll listen to that for 25 minutes. So it really depends. But it definitely happens for about 25 minutes to a half an hour before. Because my brain just isn't ready to really go until about 9 o'clock, 9.30 is when I can really start to do anything of value. Everything else is just kind of absorbing. Fair enough. Eric, are you up at 5 a.m.? 5 a.m., no. And I think it should be mentioned that there's also the 5 a.m. miracle from Jeff Stevens. Sanders, geez. There's so many Jeffs. (laughs) Anyway, Jeff Sanders who also has a great productivity podcast, by the way. My morning routine shifts. Again, it's seasonal. Right now, I am shifting more towards getting back up towards the 6 a.m. level. Five is just like, geez, why am I up? And I'm fighting it. Although there have been seasons where getting up at five and downing some coffee and getting a good solid hour to two hours before anybody else is up in the house, getting either some reading done, knowing that there's not going to be any fires for the day because I've already put them out or checked and made sure there aren't any, edited a podcast or two, that kind of thing. There's nothing like that feeling, but I'm not saying everybody has to do it that way. I've been in a season where we've been doing a lot of work on a house we sold as well as moving and then finalizing the moving. So I've been more aware of needing more sleep. So I've let myself do that. My alarm this morning was set for 730 to make sure I was up at the latest I could sleep so that I could get my daughter off to school and then move on. But that then means that I still want to do a thing or two in the morning before I'm feeling like I'm rushed into stuff I have to do. I want to take my time. I want to ease myself in. I don't want to ramp up, in other words, the anxiety level or have a mild anxiety level hanging over me for the entire day. And the way that I do that is I will make sure that, again, the night before, I'll do some setup stuff for the next morning. And then in the next morning, I don't expect too much of myself in the morning. And so kind of those two shifts of hand in hand doing a little bit on both ends makes it so that there's no huge load to lift at either the morning or the evening. Gotcha. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from all of Hal's podcast tour that he did in promoting the book was 90% of us wake up at the last possible minute that we can and still make it to work on time. Like we get up because yeah. we have to and not because we get to. And just a tiny mental shift, even if it's just half an hour to invest that time in your business, invest that time in yourself, I think is setting yourself up for a more positive day because all of a sudden you're a little bit more proactive instead of reactive. One of the things that I struggle with on occasion is procrastination, especially when faced with a larger project. There's that initial phase of excitement, like this is going to be so awesome. And then the reality sets in of all the work it's going to take. So I'm curious if you guys struggle with procrastination and how you've combated that. So Eric, if you have something to say on that. Well, I was going to let somebody else go first. You know, let me, can I, can I go first? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Mike, okay, go ahead. So, so this is timely. Before I got on the call with you guys, I had a call with my editor of the book I'm working on for Wiley. And while I've been on the road, I have fallen behind on the book writing. That's not acceptable when the book needs to be to them in the next eight weeks. So yes, I struggle with procrastination. And how do I combat that? One of the big things I will do is the theming definitely helps. Having those theme days allows me to be a bit proactive. And then if I decide to procrastinate on something, Normally, it's kind of falling Rory Vaden's procrastinate on purpose thing. It's okay if I'm not doing the podcast this Wednesday because I don't have to because I've got three other podcasts in the queue. I will procrastinate working on next week's episode until the following Wednesday. But the other way I combat it is, and I learned this from Todd Henry, is actually in this city. What he does in terms of his theming, and I've kind of taken this and called it horizontal theming, is I blocked out two blocks of time, particularly for two different types of writing during certain times throughout the week. So this morning I got up and for me it was early because I'm three hours over now and I worked on the dummies book stuff in the morning. And then tonight I'll work on the productivity of stuff in the evening. And it's because in the mornings I'm more prone to do stuff that's already been kind of set up for me. And I've already got the table of contents and all that stuff done for the dummies book. So I'll work on that. And then the evening it's more creative. I have a bit more free flow. So that's when I'll work on the productivity of stuff. So to kind of sum up, when I find that things are falling behind, I will go with this horizontal theme approach of saying, okay, you know, I need to make a commitment to myself to do this exact type of activity, and I will block out time to do it. And that's the only time I really block out specific times to do it, because otherwise I just would feel too hyper-scheduled. What's the new book, and when's it coming out? Okay, so the Dummies book, provided that they still are happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're, we're the early stage. <laughs> that book's supposed to come out March. The title, the title is Prioritization for Dummies. And the irony is not lost on me there that I was falling behind on it. And <laughs> and then with productivity, I'm just finishing up work on the productivity playbook, which should be coming out. It'll be out by the time this goes out. So that's what I'm working on for productivity. But yeah, it's chat. I mean, writing a book for a publisher is hard. 
it's even harder when you say, oh, I'll get to it later, I'll get to it later, or I'm on the road. And you'll always find some crappy excuse like, oh, I'm on the road or I'm working on this other thing, so I'll get to it later. If it's a big thing and you want to prioritize it correctly, and certain things like exercise, there is a point where you want to say, okay, I'm going to block out a specific time to do this kind of thing. The danger is when you do that to everything, because then you feel like you look at your calendar and there's 40 things on it and you feel like you're overwhelmed. So that's a tactic I use. And I know, Eric, you kind of do the same thing, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, I have a project right now that I'm a little bit behind on. And luckily, some of the deadlines shifted further back. And at the same time, it was like, no, it almost was bad that they shifted back because then they weren't right in front of me like, no, you got to get this done now versus later. And what I wished I'd done was taken a couple hours right up front when I first learned about the project and said yes to it for that matter, and had sat down and said, okay, no interruptions. I'm going to plow through this and I'm going to do a good 20 minutes to a half hour to an hour really setting out the outline for all the different aspects of this thing and allowing myself even, I think what I should have done then was say, okay, if I can get through an hour and I can get to this, if I cross this certain line, I reward myself with a, I don't know, a 20 minute TV show or something. And then once I've done that, I do one more round, you know, and basically do my own version of Pomodoro method, attacking it and setting it up. In other words, get way ahead on it right off the bat, or at least get a really good perspective of, okay, the pre-work work is now done, and now it's the work work that needs to be done, and how do I parse that out and move forward or every other day, or what is the acceptable rhythm of this project? It's going to be different for every project, but is it a daily thing that you, quote-unquote, write your thousand words a day, or is it at least two to three times a day I've actually specifically calendared for this work? that has to be done for each of those time chunks? And is it realistic to do that plan? Sure, sure. Paul, what have you found is an effective way to combat procrastination? Yeah, I don't know if this is a bit of a cop-out answer, but I don't struggle that much with procrastination. Like, maybe oh, come on, <laughs> come on. Maybe just my definition is wrong or different because there are definitely things that I put off, but I'm actively choosing to put them off because I'm prioritizing other things. And maybe that's my cop-out right there. But I'm the opposite to Mike in that I do schedule quite a lot in terms of the activities that I'm working on, and the tasks that I want to get done. And I find, for me anyway, that works really well because I know I've got like a set amount of time dedicated to getting a specific task done it holds me accountable and I kind of view it like with your calendar most people or a lot of people use it for scheduling phone calls meetings things that are set in stone to happen at a specific time and so I've tried to adopt the mindset of if I put an activity in my calendar I'm going to treat it like a meeting or a phone call so at 10 o'clock, I need to show up and start writing that blog post or do whatever I need to do. And okay. for me, that commitment on the calendar really helps me to filter out everything else, put Facebook away, stop getting distracted by everything else, and just sit down and do the work for that amount of time. Obviously, there is a bit of a challenge there because you need to think about how long do I need for this piece of work? And it's not always easy to get that right. So I err on the side of budgeting more time than I need. So something that I think might be quick, like a 30-minute thing, I'll sometimes even schedule like a whole hour for. And if I finish sooner, I can then juggle around my calendar as I need to to fit other things in. I found that helpful too, kind of making an appointment with myself or making a meeting with myself to get something done, get something done on the calendar. Eric, do you have an example of a task you've eliminated in the past 12 months, kind of going back to the four-hour work week elimination automation delegation framework? Here's what have you found that just wasn't worth your time to keep doing? Oh, gosh, a lot of stuff. (laughs) What's funny is for me, for a social media guy who also does productivity and doesn't see that there's a problem between the two, 
other than if you use social media too much and you shouldn't be, then you're not doing what you should be. Unless, again, that is your job. But that's the thing I've eliminated, or at least mostly eliminated, is constantly checking my own personal social media stuff all day, every day, because it doesn't yield anything. Now, that's not to say it doesn't yield anything. But in other words, I've translated the checking your inbox for email scenario over to every other social inbox and gotten way more intentional about it. So do you schedule like just a couple times a day to go on Facebook or Twitter or what does that look like in practice? Yeah. So first and foremost, it means that in a lot of ways, I've eliminated social from my phone almost completely. That's not to say I've deleted all the apps. What I've done is I've stuck them all in a folder and hidden that back a page, a second or third page away from swiping open to check the weather real quick and then jumping in Facebook. So putting those barriers in place first and foremost. And then, yes, having a scheduled time to say, okay, go in and check all In fact, checking everywhere for about a half hour in the morning after a certain amount of things have been done. So it's actually like a nine or 10 o'clock, depending upon what day it is, ritual. And then again, mid to late afternoon. And then I'll allow myself one more time in the evening. And I try to stick with that. Although there are days where it's like, hey, I've gotten everything done. I'm just going to mess around on Facebook. You've got to position it as an award or reward. I've set it up as a reward because we get so many dopamine hits from doing it. (laughs) Why not make it be something that, hey, I've done a bunch of work. Now I get to go do that. That's my approach. All right. I like that. Mike, what about you for an example of a task you've eliminated? Oh, what haven't I eliminated lately? (laughs) Oh, man. Social is, I got to say, Eric, you pointed me in this direction with Agora Pulse with social. I've eliminated a lot of that stuff. I still engage with it, but I only engage with my stuff. I have somebody kind of helping with the social stuff on that ground. What was that word you just said? Agora Pulse is the name of the thing. A-G-O-R-A Pulse. Right, Eric? That's how you say it, right? Agora Pulse? that's it. Yeah, it's a social media management app. I guess the better way to put for me is I've eliminated and or consolidated. I think that's probably the better way to put it because I still do my own social updates, but I kind of batch them like Eric does, but I have somebody else that's learning how to do that so that all I will have to do is today, for example, I took a picture of myself in front of Skyline Chili and said, hey, the first time, like that's that's me doing that, right? Because I want some authenticity behind it. Sure. But the other thing that happened, and again, you guys are getting this right as I'm in the middle of this travel spell, is I talked to my wife and I just said, you know what? You're gonna be my operations manager now. You said you wanted to do it, that's it, I'm done. Because it gets to a point when you start doing this stuff, where if you're the person that's the content provider and you're, it's your intellectual property and all that stuff, you eventually get to a point where having virtual assistants are fine. And I do have some virtual assistants, but I need somebody to manage the virtual assistants. You know what I mean? And my wife, because she's distanced from the content, she's the type of person that says, you know, I have no idea why. I mean, what you do is great, but I just don't get it. And I said, that's great. So you do this job then and you can handle all the operational stuff. So I'd say that that's kind of where I, I'm getting better at that, but that's the big things I've been eliminating lately and or consolidating. Paul, what about you for something you've eliminated? Yeah, something specific that I've eliminated in the last 12 months is my podcast editing. So I obviously was doing it all myself in GarageBand. And for a while, I was using a VA to do all that. I trained her up on how to edit the podcast and, you know, just drop in the intro, drop in the interview, each sides of the conversation, and then type up the show notes with the links and things like that. Now, actually, my wife Haley is helping me with that. So it's really nice to have that off my back so I can just finish an interview 
put the files into a Dropbox, record a quick intro, and, and I kind of just copy all the notes into Asana, and my wife can just look after that and get all the editing done and have the show notes ready to go as well. So literally for me, when I commit to doing an interview, all I need to do is spend like an hour or so, or maybe an hour and a half taking into account the scheduling and things like that, but really just spend an hour doing the interview and then everything after the interview is done is pretty much taken care of for me. So that's really nice to get that off my back. And then I occasionally, as part of my weekly review, I'll go through my projects and look at my different projects and different tasks that I've got and just decide if that's something I want to keep there or not. Because sometimes I'll drop in ideas into Asana of like, okay, this is something quite cool I could do on my site, or maybe like a blog post that might be quite nice, or it's kind of a holding bay for lots of different ideas. And maybe once a week, I'll just review everything. And I often just change my mind. And now, now I've slept on this, or now I've had the time to think about it. I've decided this isn't important. I'm just going to take it out and just completely not do it. Those are obviously it's slightly different. Those aren't things that I'm already doing, but it's trimming my task list down to make sure that what's left is the really important things. That's kind of it for me. I mean, I'm always looking at how I can trim the fat and spend less time on time-consuming things. And similar to Eric and Mike as well, with the email in particular, I'm batching that a lot more. Instead of keeping the mail client on my computer open during the day, I start with email first thing in the morning and then generally check in maybe around lunchtime and then briefly in the afternoon as well. And actually on email in particular, I've been quite active recently about just unsubscribing from a lot of the newsletters or different email services that aren't providing me value anymore. And so just reducing and condensing down what's coming into my inbox has been really nice as well. It just makes it easier to manage and easy to triage those messages when they come in. Okay. Now, as somebody who's still in a side hustle, and maybe he takes back to when you were pre-revenue on this project. Did you have a litmus test or something to figure out what tasks were really important? You know, I could blog till I'm blue in the face, but is that really driving results? Or I'm curious, how do you know what's the important thing to focus on? I, I think if you're pre-revenue, to find what's most important, work on the revenue generating things, in my opinion. <laughs> I took a slightly different approach. Building my website, my kind of personal brand, my voice online, getting the blog and the podcast started in the beginning was was definitely what took up most time. If I was going to do it differently, I think I would have spent less time building the online brand, the online portfolio, and maybe jumped into some consulting or freelancing sooner. Okay. It's really only something I've started in the last six months or so, which is a very quick way to get revenue in the door. And not to say that, obviously, if you want to eventually productize your service and have the real passive income from products and things, then you do need that online brand and the blog and all the content marketing that comes with it. But if I was going to do things differently, I think I would go back and to get to pre-revenue sooner, probably focus on consulting or freelancing quicker. It's as simple as that, really. If, if your goal is revenue, you've got to be brutal with yourself and your tasks and think which of these are going to move the needle the most in terms of getting revenue, whether it's consulting or getting a product out the door launched. And with that as well, trying to not get caught into that perfectionism trap where you never release anything. I think just getting something yeah. out and testing as uh -huh. quick as you can is really important as well. Now, did okay. you find that your consulting coaching clients came through your platform? Like they discovered you through the blog and podcast or were you going out and proactively pitching clients? Yeah, actually, of the clients I've worked with today, a lot of them have found me organically online through Google search, hearing me on podcasts and the blog and things, and my own newsletter, of course. So obviously, that worked well. Having the platform okay. established first worked well for getting clients. But that's not to say you need that. You can definitely, as you said, go out and find ways to prospect and find clients online or do some paid advertising or something. You don't have to have the platform. And I think you could potentially get to revenue quicker if you, you were just really active about finding out the different channels that you can get them, not necessarily through your own platform. Sure, sure. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. 
it takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. ANDS.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Email is something that we've touched on a handful of times. You guys have mentioned batch processing, or trying to stay out of the inbox and having discipline to keep, in my case, the Gmail tab closed on my browser most of the time, which now it's a 10 or 15 year habit that is still there most of the day. So maybe, Eric, what's your relationship look like with your inbox? I'm curious, like, do you check email first thing in the morning or do you have any favorite tools you use to kind of keep the flood of messages at bay? I try to eliminate the flood from even happening, first and foremost. <laughs> One of the most genius things that I ever heard was from Merlin Mann on my show two or three years ago. And he said, go to Gmail, go to the search bar, and type the word unsubscribe. Everything that can be unsubscribed from has that word in it somewhere, and it'll bring up this list of stuff, and then you can start going through and unsubscribing to everything that you don't necessarily need to have. And that was a good first start. What I did then from that was actually create a sidebar tab in Gmail called newsletters. And then what I did was I every time I got a newsletter from that point forward after I'd unsubscribed from a bunch is okay. I created one of those Gmail filters where it said anytime an email from so-and-so's newsletter comes in, create a filter like this. First off, skip the inbox. Number two, don't mark it as read, but archive it and also label it with that newsletter label. And okay. so then on the sidebar, I've got this tab that says newsletters, and it only becomes bold when I get a new email that applies to all those rules. And next to that, it'll tell me how many there are all in all. And so I won't go in there unless it's my newsletter checking time of the day, whether that's in the morning the next day, if I didn't do it the night before or that kind of thing. And as long as I've pared down what I'm actually getting newsletters from 
or deals sometimes. And you could create a whole other one that's called deals if you want to not have yeah, to yeah, sift yeah. through. But anyway, by creating that order and that automation of that order, my inbox, the actual inbox, becomes much less flooded. It's more or less people actually trying to talk with me or respond to me and vice versa. So that's my big tip there. That's pretty good. Mike, do you have a similar system or what do you use? I use some tools, but largely what I do is it really depends. When I train people, it depends too. But I have SaneBox. I use SaneBox to kind of distill that. So I could say, hey, you know what? I'm going to move these things so that I don't see them. So my Sane Later box will pile up kind of like the newsletters. That's where they all end up going. And then that way, for example, as I'm traveling, I have, I think, like 75 emails that are in my inbox. And most of them are from Actually, almost all of them are from either today or yesterday. They're sitting in my main inbox, and my scene later inbox is much fuller, and I can go take a look at that whenever I want. One thing I also use is I use a tool called Mixmax in Gmail, and I like it. The only thing I use from it, which is hilarious because it has a lot of other options, is I use the Send Later tool, kind of like what Boomerang offers. So it's really helpful if I check email later in the day, say after 5 o'clock, and considering I live on the West Coast, most times I check email or after Eastern Coast time zone people are done work for the day, I'll schedule it to go out the next day. And that way it looks like I'm actually responding to it at that time. So that way I create this nice little boundary around, hey, when does Mike actually send email versus when does he actually read it? So there's a few of those tools I use. And another thing I've done with clients, especially those who don't use a task management tool like all of us do, and they want to live in their inboxes. I'm like, listen, let's just get things out of the inbox because the inbox is just a mysterious mess. Let's create five to seven folders in your sidebar and name them after the days of the week, so Monday through Sunday. And then if you get an email, all you have to decide is when am I going to deal with this? If I'm going to deal with it today, well, what is today? Oh, today is Wednesday, then drag it to the Wednesday folder. And that way you keep your inbox free and clear, and then you can go in and look at whatever folder it is that represents the day of the week and tackle those emails next. So it's kind of a way to begin that kind of workflow because a lot of the stuff we're talking about are processes and workflows, and that's what we want to do is build some framework surrounding it because once you start doing that, then you're going to start to have that freedom that you desire. Okay. I'm still working for the I'm still working for an email system that works for me and have the willpower to not go in there all the time. So Eric, with the filters, I think that's a pretty cool automation. And I've got that set up for like the Groupons and the daily deals and the travel stuff that comes through and even banking statements all gets dumped into a folder. I never have to see it. Any other super cool automations you have set up with Zapier or with IFTTT? Uh, well, IFTTT, so if this, then that, I have a cool recipe that I use that's tied into Twitter. And what I do with it is, say I'm going through my Twitter stream or one of my Twitter timelines that I've set up, and I see something cool, and I'm like, well, I could either click on this link and really dive deep into it and read the article, or I can click favorite, and then it automatically, through the system, sends me an email from if this, then that to my email. And again, doesn't hit the inbox. It goes over to an if this, then that tab or folder or filter, or whatever you want to call it, on the sidebar. And then again, I've curated and collated it <laughs> to a point where it's nice and easy to go through and look at later, but okay. not right now. Okay. So, so it's like, hey, this headline looks compelling. I want to read that later. So you just hit the heart button and it automatically hits your inbox. Yeah. It's like sending the distraction squirrel to a cage <laughs> to, to deal with later. <laughs> Okay, okay. I like that one. What about you, Paul? 
Yeah, I have a couple automations that I'm particularly proud of. Firstly, on the Mac, I use Hazel for automatic document organization. And in particular, that's with managing invoices and receipts that I get. And this is it kind of comes back to the email a little bit. But when I get a receipt or an invoice to my email, I can just download the PDF. Or if it's the email itself is the receipt, then I can just print the email as a PDF. If those then land in my downloads folder, what you can set Hazel to do is to watch that folder and then apply rules based on the documents that land there. So for example, my MailChimp receipt for my email provider, Hazel will look for the word MailChimp in that PDF. It's going to check that the file is a PDF as well. It then finds the date, the actual invoice date, and it's really clever because you can even specify the format that the date is shown in. So it might be like month, then day, then year. You can then automatically rename that document, and I name it to like the year, dash, month, dash, day, and MailChimp. And then Hazel will automatically move it to a file in my Dropbox where I keep all my receipts. And I have a rule like that for all of the recurring receipts that I get, you know, MailChimp, Zapier, Calendly, all these different services. And pretty much for managing documents, it makes your accounting a lot easier because you just have to save the file. You don't actually have to rename it. You don't have to move it. Hazel will do all that for you. So that's like a really simple example of something I'm doing with Hazel. And the other automation that I'm particularly proud of is with people booking a time to chat maybe for a consulting call, I do offer like a get a 30-minute free consulting call with me and we learn about each other and I can see how I can help you. I have that on my website. And people can book okay. time to talk with me. I have Calendly, the button that kind of floats at the bottom of the page. People can book a time. And then what I do is I have a Zapier recipe to basically when that booking comes into Calendly, create a new deal in Pipedrive, which is where I manage my clients through a sales process. As I'm trying to close a sale, and it's just my own personal tracking, a new deal is created with all the details of that person and any of the questions that I ask as part of that Calendly booking, like what's their Skype name or what can I help you with or what challenges are you facing right now? All of that information gets populated into Pipedrive. So it just means I'm not spending time setting up a new deal when Calendly already has that information anyway. So that's like a real nice recipe that saves me quite a lot of time as well. Yeah, that's pretty slick. How much is the monthly charge for Zapier? I think to start at $20 a month for 20 zaps or something. I think so. Yeah, Zapier can get expensive. That's why a lot of people like to use IFTTT, but they serve different purposes. Zapier is mm. more for businesses, although you can use some of the IFTTT stuff for that. And that's the great thing about all these tools is that there's no shortage of them. I mean, some people use Pipedrive, some people use Salesforce, some people use Instapaper for document management, some people use Pocket, some people use Evernote. There's just so many tools. I think the cool thing is, and this is the dangerous part that a lot of people come across, and I know we've all seen this, is that they try one and then they see the shiny new one that shows up. Like, oh, why don't I try that? Instead of saying, you know what? Evernote's working fine. Let me just stick with Evernote. I think that's a dangerous and a very slippery slope that people can go down. Yeah, agreed. My favorite automation that I had to set up, I felt like super ninja when I had this set up. So you could answer a survey on my site and there were some template survey responses and say if somebody, it would ping an email to Fancy Hands, a virtual assistant service, and it would say, hey, somebody filled out a survey. These are the answers that they submitted. Based on those answers, find the correct answer in these templates. And so it was a completely automated thing, whereas before you actually take me going into the inbox and creating these emails, which is super ironic for being like a virtual assistant survey or virtual assistant site. It's been actually pretty cool. And they respond way faster than I did. Their average response time is probably like less than 10 minutes. So it's been pretty cool doing that. Now you guys have mentioned some virtual assistants, some team members, people helping you out. Paul, your wife's doing the podcast editing. I'm curious what your virtual assistant stack looks like. What's your team member stack looks like? Who's helping you out? And at what point did you make the investment in hiring them? So Paul, anybody else besides your wife helping out with the business right now? 
No, it's, it's just me and my wife. I was working with a virtual assistant. She was a, a freelance kind of indie virtual assistant that I found on Upwork. It didn't work out for a couple of reasons. Partly my fault. I think I still need to learn to let go of certain things. That's definitely something I need to work on. I'm actually in the process now of trying to find a new virtual assistant. So if anyone's got recommendations of services to check out, then definitely let me know because I'm looking to offload more tasks. Yeah. I imagine you'll get some calls after this episode. <laughs> Eric, what about you? So I actually have never had one, and I think I have the same issue that Paul has where I can't let people take over my stuff. I mean, I have my day job where I couldn't have anybody being my there necessarily, although I could at some point in the future. But for the side hustle stuff, for beyond the to-do list, it's pretty straightforward. I don't want somebody else in there because it actually, in some senses, would add more work to the stack for even if they got some stuff done for me, I'd then still have to take time interacting with them and then, okay, so you did this, you didn't do this, this person said this, and like, it's almost redundant. And at that point, it's like, why am I paying for this? So I'm sure that's not going to be the case always, but for right now and for a little bit longer, it probably still will be. All right, Mike? So I let go of me doing the podcast a while ago, and my editor's been doing it for, gosh, almost two years and I love doing it. So I'm like you, Eric, you know, I was a little bit hesitant, but you guys know who Chris Ducker is and he wrote the book Virtual mm -hmm. Freedom. And one of the things I decided to do is look at those three lists of freedom that he talks about. And it's tricky because one of them is easy, like things you don't like to do, but need to be done. Okay. I can outsource that. And I've done that plenty of times. Then there's the other list, which is things you love to do and only you can do. Well, that's also a list that I can do fairly easily. It's that middle list of things you like to do, but someone else can do. And that's where the podcast fell. And I like doing that, but someone else is better at it than me. So I gave them the option to do it. And it's worked out great. Now, if John was to leave, my podcast producer, I wouldn't go, well, I guess I'm doing this again. Yay. I'd go, I got to hire somebody else. That's what you find, right? So Melissa, my assistant, she was great. We didn't replace her right away. We just kind of decided, okay, well, my wife is going to handle operations and then she'll hire virtual assistants below her to do certain things that she doesn't know how to do well. I think once you get comfortable letting go of this stuff and then like what you were saying earlier, Paul, about killing some of those services that you're paying for that you don't need to pay for because we all sign up for like, oh, why do I have three different accounts that do the same thing? So really getting in and drilling on those, you can actually start to stretch that dollar a little bit further and say, okay, I'm going to pay for Agora Pulse because that way one person can go in and manage all this stuff. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I mean, my stack, it varies. I've used fancy hands before. I've got a company that reached out to me that wants me to work with their virtual team. And I mean, I'm at that point where I have to start doing that stuff. And Eric, you're right. It's hard. It's hard to say, well, I get in there and I can fix it myself. The hardest part is letting go and saying, oh, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll put a process together. It's kind of like the e-myth, right? Michael Gerber's you got to spend more time working on the business than in the business. Yeah. And that's what I've learned. And I've learned that really recently because you find out that if you try to work in the business too much and not so much on the business, that things just get away from you because there's only one of me. Can you repeat those three lists of freedom? Yep. So one is the list that you don't like to do, but they need to get done. The third list, which is the one on the far right, would be things you love to do and only you can do. And they also need to get done. And then there's the middle of things you like to do and need to get done, but you don't need to do them. Okay, gotcha. And so that kind of gives you the framework for potential delegation opportunities. And that middle list is hard. 
I like to edit my own blog posts, but somebody else is better at it. I like to create my own content upgrades, but I've got somebody that's doing it for me now. I'm like, they take it and they start to polish it. You become that CEO, right? And it sounds, and some people don't want to do that because it sounds arrogant or egotistical. It's not. It's just the way it is. Once you start to do this, once your side hustle becomes the thing, and that's what happened with me. This was a side hustle initially. And then it starts to grow into the thing that is bigger than what you can handle on your own. You have to be willing to let go of some of the stuff that you were easily able to do on your own before. And that's where I'm at right now. And it's terrifying and refreshing and time consuming all at the same time, but short term pain for long term gain, right? Right. You guys want to hear my convoluted virtual assistant stack? Yes. Yeah, sure. Go for it. So I mentioned fancy hands. I've been with them for years and years and they're awesome. They kind of handle this like automation survey responses and stuff on my behalf. They do flight check-ins. They've done proofreading stuff for me. I use a service called OK Relax, which is similar kind of on a task-based model, but you can go up to half an hour and you can also request longer tasks. Use as many tasks as you want on this request, but they assign you a dedicated assistant. So my assistant, Carla, who's been awesome there for doing longer form research and drafting some outlines for stuff. And what's next? Oh, I use a service in India called MyTasker, and they've been helping with daily database maintenance and CRM management stuff. I've got podcastfasttrack.com. Carrie Green, who's a former guest on the show, is helping editing the podcast, helping edit the podcast, which has been a weight off my shoulders. I still love to do it, and I'll still listen to each episode and clean it up a little bit, but having them go through and do that has been very helpful. And then I've got Phil in the UK, a writer in the UK that helps put together the podcast highlight reels, the show notes for that stuff. So Phil, I know you're listening, so thank you for your help on that. And I think that is it. So kind of going down the specialist route versus one full-time dedicated assistant, which is what I have for a long, long time in the shoe business, where it's like, hey, you're almost kind of a full-time employee at that point. So that's kind of what I've got going on on the VA stack side. You guys, this has been fun. Hopefully it's been helpful for everyone listening as well. So this is Eric Fisher from Beyond the To-Do List, Mike Barty from Productivityist.com, and Paul Miners from paulminers.com. Be sure to take him up on his offer for the consultation. Hopefully we'll get your phone ringing over there, Paul. We're going to wrap this thing up with your guys' number one tip for side hustle nation. doesn't have to be related to productivity, but if it is, that's totally fine. So we'll go around the horn. Eric kicks off. I would say make some time to recharge. Don't just feel like you have to constantly be side hustling, but take a season, whatever that looks like for you. For right now, I'm since we're recording this in September, I'm looking forward to as we mentioned earlier, Thanksgiving in the United States through to sometime at the end of January being a really nice recharge season. And I'm planning that now and I'm planning to lower the bar of expectation (laughs) on myself so that I can just breathe and be around people and read for enjoyment instead of necessity and things like that. Fair enough. Mike, Uh, what about you? I'd say that keeping a journal is something that would really be beneficial to you in more ways than one, not just productivity wise, because it has been, but also just peace of mind wise. Here's where I was. Here's where I am now. Here's what's working. Here's what isn't. We have so much stuff going on in our lives that taking that five minutes a day to just capture your thoughts and how the day went, all that stuff. I think the payoff is so huge because we spend so much time cranking and hustling and moving that sometimes we forget to stop and smell the roses. And what's that John Lennon quote? Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. If you journal, you're going to actually see what your life has made up all those moments. And I think that there's some real value there. Is that a plug for the five-minute journal? No, I don't even use the five-minute journal. I use day one. You could use Evernote. You could use Journey on Android. But one quick tip, if you're going to use a tool like day one, take a picture. Take a picture earlier in the day. So I can tell you right now, 
the picture going with my journal entry today is me in front of the skyline chili sign saying, look what I did today. I'm not going to remember that necessarily three years from now, but when I see that picture, it's going to go, oh yeah, that thing. And if you say you don't have time to journal, I call BS on that because if you're on Facebook, guess what? You're journaling. You're just journaling for the world. So, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Paul, what about you? Yeah, I think my top tip, particularly for the side hustle nation, is just persist. Because if you're just starting your side hustle or maybe you've been doing it for a while, you're going to have times when you feel like everything you do doesn't result in what you want to actually have happen. And you're going to throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall. Not all of it's going to stick. And you just have to persist, keep going, keep trying new things. And I really do believe above any other productivity tip, if you just keep going and keep trying new things and outwork your competition, that's going to be what gets you to where you want to be. So for people getting started, yeah, just be prepared for a lot of work. And for people who are kind of in the trenches right now, who are maybe struggling, just remember to just keep going would be my biggest piece of advice. Very good. So we've got to make some time to recharge, keep a journal and persist. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and we'll catch up with all of you very soon. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. The working world has changed. You guys know that. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities to be self-employed. In fact, like Steve Cunningham mentioned last week, half of us are going to be freelancers by 2020, if we're not already. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of their all-new cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way side hustlers, freelancers, and entrepreneurs like us work. If you haven't checked out FreshBooks yet, get ready to be more productive, more organized, and more profitable than ever before. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple clicks, and get paid up to four days faster. See when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to that awkward guessing game. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial for Side Hustle Show listeners. To claim yours, just go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle or enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle for your 30-day free trial. All right, my top takeaways from this productivity roundtable with Mike, Eric, and Paul. Number one, the first step is really figuring out where you want to go. It may not be realistic to map out your whole year or even your whole month, but if you don't know where you want to go, it's really hard to figure out what to do today, you know, what to do next. This is something I'm kind of guilty of this year and not really setting any concrete big picture goals. And so that will be a priority for me when I get back uh, into the office later this month to figure out, you know, what what's the next stage of Side Hustle Nation and, and the various other projects uh, that I've got going on. Takeaway number two is with with that focus, elimination becomes easier. It's easier to say no when you have something else you've already decided to say yes to. And now, of course, the challenge is putting that into practice. And takeaway number three for me, uh, take inventory of your time and your tasks with an eye for automation and delegation. These guys shared some pretty ninja automations I, I, I really liked and, and some stuff they had going on, um, like automatic filtering and all this cool stuff. You know, what tasks do you find yourself doing over and over again? Where would they fall on the three lists of freedom? Is, is it something that somebody else can do for you? Is there a way to automate that? Or is it even necessary in the first place? So those were my, my top takeaways from the call. Hope you guys enjoyed this productivity discussion. Definitely one of my favorite topics and one we continue to revisit on the show because it's such a universal challenge. Be sure to grab the free PDF highlight reel from this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash roundtable. At that URL, you can grab all the links from this episode. 
as well at sidehustlenation.com slash roundtable. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 